Welcome to the One Last Sketch Podcast, a show dedicated to science fiction, fantasy, and history. I'm Michael. I'm Murray. And I'm Corey. Usually we try to be pretty positive on this podcast, barring a few occasions. But mm. today we're going to bask in a little bit of negativity. And maybe it will be enjoyable, too, to do that. We're going to talk about books that we either didn't finish or regret having made the grueling march all the way to the end. Yeah, this won't be anything that I would say would be healthy to listen to, but you're going to do that anyway. So one question that will come up is why are we choosing unfinished books as opposed to just books we don't like and what the difference between those might be? Um, well, because you form a different relationship with a, with, a, with a book that is unfinished. It sort of feels like it's punching you and then you're just like, I've, I, then you just, you're KO'd by the book. You fall over. <laughs> you, you submit to the defeat. Well, I think the difference too is that not finishing a, there are multiple reasons to not finish a book. I mean, strongly disliking it is definitely one, but it could also be just, it doesn't catch your interests. And, mm-hmm. Or expending the time and energy doesn't seem worth it. Or it's just something where you go, this is probably a good book for somebody else. Mm-hmm. but not for me. I think in the regret category, that is special because you feel like you have wasted your time and mental energy. <laughs> you're like, at any, it's like when you go to a movie and you're like, at any moment, this movie will be good. But then, so then you suddenly realize you're in Batman versus Superman and it never happens. <laughs> but while a movie is only two, well, these days, probably closer to three hours of your time down the toilet. It mm-hmm. takes a certain amount of stubbornness to make your way all the way to the end of a book when you have that sinking feeling in your stomach of just, I am partaking in the sunk cost fallacy right now, 100%. Mm-hmm. Especially given that the, the sheer size of some books on the market these days. I don't know if it's the books you're necessarily getting longer. I mean, there have always been long, like, really long books. I'm talking specifically about fantasy books, where for maybe a little less so now, but bigger was better for a long time. Yeah, I remember when I was, um, when I was in my teens, I fell into that fallacy quite a bit, and that was kind of, I don't know if I'd call it the golden era, but that was definitely a big time for just thick fantasy books that were more filler than substance. Mm -hmm. Long fantasy series in which the individual volumes themselves were also 1,000 plus pages. Which still happens. Oh, yeah. Uh, it does. It doesn't seem as predominant if you go into a bookstore and look at the fantasy section to just see the one shelf of Robert Jordan anymore. Mm-hmm. No, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And in other occasions when we haven't finished a book, it's just been because, well, I was busy doing something else at the time, and I couldn't remember mm-hmm. exactly what had happened. So... Mm-hmm. I find, yeah. yeah, I legitimately find most books I haven't finished have usually been when I've been, or, or were usually when I was in school. And it's not that they weren't interesting, it's that I was taking five classes and that just happened to be the book that fell by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And there are other cases where it's just not the right time or you're not in the right mood. 
Uh, I would put as an example reading the fourth Earthsea book. We talked about Earthsea last time. Mm-hmm. I read that first in high school, and I did not finish it. I strongly disliked it. And then mm-hmm. when I came back to it a few years ago, I actually liked it quite a lot. So mm-hmm. yeah. That can happen as well. Mm-hmm. But going into just beyond time considerations, what would make you not want to finish a book? Well, like if you find the characters utterly irritating or reprehensible or offensive. <laughs> I'm typically pretty stubborn with books. Like I've had very few books that I can recall where I legitimately just couldn't finish it. Blah, blah, blah. I'm the toughest reader. Blah, blah, that being blah. said, it has engendered... I mean, I, I'm, I'm also fairly picky about which books I choose to read. Now, that being said, there have been some where I should have stopped and I didn't. And that filled me with a lot of regret. And I will be elaborating on some of those today. Mm-hmm. For me, the prose can be a giant pointer mm-hmm. in a novel to whether it's worth continuing. Because if the writer can't get the basics of sentence structure and putting a paragraph together down correctly, uh, there's probably a whole lot of other problems with the book. Usually it's not the prose that makes me stop. Usually it would be the characters or something infuriating happen or some theme that keeps on getting hammered on that I just don't agree with and which is clumsily executed. But it tends to be that first pointer is this just wasn't written that well to begin with. Or it's boring. Mm -hmm. Like, boring. If a book is just boring, then it's it's very hard to want to read it. Yeah, and boring is different for different people when Mm -hmm. it comes to novels. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If there's something that just absolutely nothing in this book is capturing my interest, then Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely stop. (laughs) Now, as for what would make you regret finishing a book, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I guess I'm pretty good now about stopping a book when I'm not enjoying it, just because I've been burned several times in the past where... I've had that little voice in my head going, this is not worth your time. And the other voice going, oh, probably it'll get better later on. I won a Hugo and a Nebula Award or whatever. I'm sure it gets better. And every time, it's never gotten better. And then I'm at the end of the book and go, why did I pick this back up again? Or I think for you now, you're getting really good at being like, this cover is amazing. This book's not going to be any good. (laughs) I think I kind of fall into the same trap. Um, Except you don't stop. Yeah, except they don't stop. Like, I, I keep telling myself, it will get better, it will get better, and then it inevitably never does. Or, uh, conversely, and I'll talk more about this when I get to the actual list I have down, I've had a few books where there very clearly was a payoff coming, and the way it was executed, that payoff never arrived. Yeah, that's what I was the, pretty much going to say. For me, that's one of the biggest sources of regret, is you can have a medio- what feels like a mediocre read or not a super engaging read, but you can craft the sense that it's going somewhere, and when it, when it doesn't, that is when I legitimately feel like I've wasted my time with it. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the big factors, is an author sets up a very intriguing situation, or some something where you go, this definitely could go somewhere mm-hmm. that's and intellectually then, engaging, and, and then, then the author doesn't. never gets there. Yeah. I would say that I'm not including books that like just don't end very well, because pl- as long as they sort of set up something, but also do a little bit with it in the story, 
if they come, like, I'm thinking primarily of uh, the Diamond Age is a perfect example. Suddenly the book ends, because uh, Neil Stevenson... That's a Neil did, Stevenson thing. Didn't know where to go with this. Too much to do. But I still say the book is good, because enough happens in it that's interesting mm-hmm. and stimulating and stuff. So that the ending, you just kind of go, well... That's fine, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, using Marie's example, like, I, I like Diamond Age. I've never regretted reading it. Um, but Diamond Age is a case where the ending may be a bit weird, but the expectations are still kind of fulfilled. They're not fulfilled at the end, they're fulfilled earlier, and then you kind of get to this weird space, but th- there is still something that makes it engaging. Yeah. Being too old can happen, too. Yeah. Um, not yeah, with Lloyd I've Alexander. reading YA. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um... I've moved beyond these things. I've, you know point. what? I, I've never even tried most YA. Like, the books I've read that have been classed as, like, YA were ones you guys have recommended or people whose opinions I've trust have recommended. But, like, just as a general rule, I've just never been interested in it. Sorry. Uh, no one listening will notice that I just did a massive eye roll. <laughs> just, just there. Congratulations. Well, no, no. But just the reason I haven't is kind of building off what Michael was saying. Like, I, I just always got the sense I would have regretted it. Like, mm-hmm. I felt it Yeah, like, I don't regret having read Redwall. No, absolutely not. But it's very hard to reread those now. Yeah, that I was in middle school, but I'm not going to go back. I would regret reading an entire Redwall novel now. Uh, there's really only one that I will do again. Just because I'm not reading it to read it, I'm reading it to remember the fond time I had with it. Sorry, maybe to clarify my point. Why I never read YA as an adult. Obviously I did when I was the target demographic. Yeah. Yes, and that's what the point I was driving at there was. Yeah. <laughs> So the way we're going to approach the rest of this podcast is in the tried and true draft method where we go from person to person in a Mm -hmm. circle Mm -hmm. and you pick a book and other people can join in to discuss it if they've read it or if they haven't and they have capital Q questions. Yeah, and I think our cat cat is going to join us for this. You'll probably hear him commenting throughout this podcast. (laughs) Exclusion criteria. We uh, did not are not including where you've read the first book in a series and not the rest of the series because sometimes that first book is good enough alone. Yeah, you know, there are... for example, Dune. Don't read any of the other ones. Well, that's what I was actually going to start off with in our draft uh, because I tried to read all the other Dune books. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I read every sequel to Dune: Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, God Emperor Dune. Chapter House Dune, got through the first chapters for most of them and had to quit. I got through a big chunk of Dune Messiah, and I think I had 20 or 30 pages left to go, and I just couldn't do it. So little had happened, and what was going to happen was so obvious that I saw no point in reading the rest of the novel. (laughs) Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember I did. I actually did read Dune Messiah. Um, that would have been, I think, high school. And I really liked Dune. I mean, you can listen to our Dune podcast for more on that. But I, the problem I had with Dune Messiah is, like you said, nothing happens. Like, it's just, it's not even a sequence of events that don't fit together. It's just kind of talking is the best way I can describe it. It's not that it's badly written. It's just pointless, really. It's odd because not only do the sequels come to me as a huge letdown, but they didn't feel like they were written by the same person. 
Yeah. In many cases, like there were passages in Children of Dune that directly contradicted things that had happened in Dune. And Although you are talking about the ones that were also written by Frank Herbert, though, right? Yeah. These are yeah, all okay. written by Frank Herbert. Yes, there are Dune prequels and sequels written by people other than Frank Herbert, which I also regret reading. <laughs> well, because mentioning Children of Dune, I remember that's where I really gave up on the series aspect of Dune and decided to just treat it as a standalone, because I, st- I Dune Messiah was pointless, but it wasn't painful. I started Children of Dune. That I couldn't finish, because at that point it was just so turned off from seeing it as pointless. And Dune itself is a self-contained narrative, mm-hmm. and it feels like something where a lot of work was poured into crafting this complete story and the sequels i guess you could say a lot of sequels don't feel necessary but especially in this case Mm -hmm. you had this tip of the iceberg effect happening in dune where there's this whole other universe of stuff happening in the background and you are curious about it but when you start actually finding out about it in the other dune books it's not does not match up with the scenarios you imagined (laughs) the expansiveness of what was there it does feel like a letdown maybe not as much as the frank herbert books but definitely in the kevin j anderson brian herbert continuation since then this can actually ruin the world for you from reading this when you find out that like duke leto atreides was actually in a bullfight with a mutant bull or (laughs) Yeah, I, I think or that, the Baron Harkonnen is obese because he was cursed by a witch and given a disease. Or the Butlerian Jihad is where the Harkonnen-Atreides um, rivalry began because of something really dumb. I we didn't I'm, need to know this. <laughs> yeah, I think building off of that, I think that's tra- a trap a lot of, in particular, science fiction and fantasy falls into is there's all of like this extra information, like you said, it's a tip of the iceberg thing. There's backstory, there's side story, there's kind of filling in these, like, there's having a sense that this universe is amazing and wanting to see more of it. But in a way, that's actually the strength of it, is that because you don't see those things, your imagination is able to kind of play and fill them in. So when the author does try to, it either never fulfills expectations, or it's kind of caving to pressure or a hollow cash grab so it's just it's never satisfying and it's, it's on the... this these recommendations that i never read the other dude books <laughs> thanks guys i think we we both specifically told you don't read past exactly <laughs> i'm very happy with dune it's a great book i mean some people very much respect the original frank herbert series i don't know anyone who respects per se the stuff that came afterwards even though fun fact there are more brian herbert kevin j anderson dune books than there are frank herbert dune books at this point (laughs) i think what it comes down to in this case is when someone builds a world and then goes back to filling gaps that did not need to be filled instead of telling continuing stories Mm -hmm. it's just trying to satisfy fan curiosity instead of trying to build a worthwhile narrative on top of what you have. Mm-hmm. A little bit of... Huge disappointment. A little bit of noodle incident is a good thing. 
Well, I, I think a point we've made before, I'm pretty sure we made it with the Book of the New Sun podcast, is that <laughs> if you're going to have a series, there needs to be a point. It, it shouldn't read like just separate random books. It should be one extended narrative that you couldn't fit in one volume for reasons of space. Well, That's and there's a, a point outside of its narrative, too, which is I yeah. think kind of what we're getting at. If the point of the narratives continuing onward are just to support things that were in the initial one and not to make any kind of thematic point outside of that, it becomes an exercise in utility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, that finishes up my first draft pick, so All right, my turn. let's go around the table. <laughs> All right, we're still on. Those are ones that you regretted reading. I'm going to go with one. Well, this that is I... ones that were unfinished in this case. Oh, that's right. Finished like, any of them. <laughs> right. Well, Red Mars didn't finish it, and I was very sad about that because I really liked. Because um, I'm much more a fan of hard science fiction than Corey is, or potentially you are. I really liked the science part in it. It's just that it was the story got so incredibly bogged down in sort of the political inertia. And I think actually I quit right when it was getting to where after basically the big backstory and they're back at the party and I think someone dies or is assassinated or something. Um, I can't even remember. And I'm like, this is probably where like, you know, now there's sort of fallout from the starting the, um, in the in media res kind of thing. But then judging from Corey who had read the entire series He's like, ah, it doesn't really get any better. So yeah, I, mean, I, I decided, as much as I really wanted to just finish the first book and call it done, I just felt defeated by the incredible boredom that would overcome me every time I opened it. Yeah, I, um, like Marie said, I actually finished the entire Mars trilogy, and while I don't regret reading it, I will never go back to it. Um, the big problem with them, I find, is that... They're effectively an academic rant disguised as a novel. Like, the ideas in them are fascinating, and I'm glad I had exposure to those ideas and got to explore those ideas. But if you're going to present something as a novel and treat storytelling as secondary, then you start getting into problems. Like, all of those ideas could have fit into a perfectly engaging story. They just don't. So I read Green Mars in grade 7 which I did finish. I did not read Red Mars, and I did not finish Blue Mars in high school. And I think Kimlet Stanley Robinson as an author, I find he has very interesting hard science fiction ideas, but the way he executes a narrative and writes it mm-hmm. is so incredibly unengaging and boring to me Mm-hmm. that I don't think I've finished a Kim Stanley Robinson novel since. Like, I tried to read mm-hmm. Antarctica, didn't finish it. I tried to read 2312, didn't finish it. The characters don't interact like people. They don't feel like people. Well, again, it kind of goes back to the point I made. When you're presenting something as a long-form narrative and narrative is secondary, like, it's not going to work. Well, it's his novels are info dumps where mm-hmm. that happen to be sprinkled with some dialogue in between. Yeah. And I'm and not against info dumping in and of yeah. itself because it can be part yeah. of what you're doing. If used properly, absolutely. Yeah, he's a great defender of the info dump, and I agree with him in interviews when he talks about 
how you could mm-hmm. use an info dump. I mean, Solaris is a bunch oh, of giant info dumps. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, Solaris is engaging in a way that I have not found anything by Kim Stanley Robinson has been. Also, Solaris is pretty short, while all of Kim Stanley Robinson's novels are really long. Yeah, Corey. Yeah, Corey. All right. Um. So I'm gonna go to a regret, and this was most recent book I read that I regret. Take a shot every time you regret a book. Yeah. <laughs> Given the nature of this podcast, I don't think any of us would survive. Um, the Nightland by William Hodgson. Um, so I found this literally just on the shelf of the bookstore. I decided to give it a chance. And there are two prob- two main problems with the book. The first is that the prose is really dense and really convoluted. It was written late 19th century but it's tr- being written from the perspective of somebody living in the 17th century, and he tries to capture that sense of 17th century tone and writing. And just to confuse you, the book takes place in the far, far future for the Yeah, book. so the premise is that the, the narrator in his dreams goes into this world that's set in the far, far future. And the premise itself of this world, I thought it was fascinating. That's what got me into it. And that's what kept me going with it. It's the original dying earth narrative. It's a world where the in English language might be the original. Okay, fine. The original mm-hmm. in English, at least. Mm-hmm. And the premise is that the sun has gone dark. It's slowly fading and dying. And as a result, the world below is dying, right? Like, so you've got this perfect setup for all of this existential dread And just this nightmarish scenario of, okay, are we the last generation of people? Where does it go from here? And like, it's fascinating. They're fascinating questions and ideas. And because of that, I was willing to look past the prose. Because for the first few chapters, that's where the focus is. Unfortunately, the focus very quickly changes to the main character going on this quest to rescue some girl who literally just acts like a petulant brat the entire time he's trying to save her. It's like, and, and that's it. Like, the story is he goes out, he brings her home. And it's like, it had so much potential, and I kept telling myself during the interim chapters, this will get back to the cool stuff, this will get back, and it never did. Yeah, I quit that one when they left the pyramid. Uh, yeah, that's basically when it stops having anything interesting. Yeah, so The like, Nightland is a hugely influential novel, but one that itself has been forgotten. Because Lovecraft was a huge fan of this. All of the 30s pulp writers Mm -hmm. took inspiration from the Nightland. But um, Mm -hmm. the Nightland itself is not remembered, unlike the works that it inspired are. Well, I mean, the thing is... Like the Book of the New Sun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When when the narrator leaves the pyramid, like this giant pyramid he lives in, when he actually goes out into the Nightland, from there it's just like this fantastical adventure narrative with crazy monsters but none of them are particularly original. None of them are particularly inspired and none of them ever actually feel like a threat. Like when you go from having this like cosmic existential terror to just trying not to get killed, battling a monster, it kind of loses the impact. Yeah. Well, Especially when it's a lame monster. Well, was it lame for the time though? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm usually, okay. <laughs> okay, fine. I, yeah, I kind of get the sense it was, because like having read older stuff than this that's been more imaginative, yeah. Like the Green Knight? <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, any medieval narrative is far more imaginative than that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I will tell you that. All right. Yeah. Uh, since Corey's done a regret, I will move into a regret. I read Ready Player One by Ernie Klein, despite putting it down about 30 pages in, but then I went back to it because it was so massively popular mm. at that time among the nerd crowd. Mm. And your friends jumped being made the into a movie now. Uh, Wasn't that a Cory Doctorow book? No, but Cory Doctorow is in it as like president of the galaxy or something. Uh, well, not the galaxy. There's a virtual world that the rest, the actual world is going to garbage because of global warming, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they built a virtual one that's like World of Warcraft and Second Life all stuck mm. together. And when the creator of this world dies, they have to go on a treasure hunt to get the prize. And it's all based around 1980s nerd culture. And basically, they're all trying to find answers to riddles about Zork. And even mm -hmm. though they have access to the internet, people can't find this stuff. Because, yeah, it's lost Google to history, whatever. The whole premise is that, hey, you know all that 1980s nerd trivia that's completely useless? Well, here's your dream scenario where it turns out is 100% the most important thing in the world. So it's basically f wish f or fantasy fulfillment for the closeted nerds who want to think that all this kind of somewhat trivial stuff is actually the most important thing in the world. Exactly. I mean, it makes you feel dumber at the end of it because you've been pandered to to such a degree. Like, the author's down on his knees with his mouth open, basically. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> and I'm male in this scenario? Is that what this is? You can be either. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess. Now I think about it. Maybe we should put a little disclaimer that that's just your opinion. <laughs> It is. I seem to be the is only one who read linguist? the book. <laughs> is he a cunning linguist? No? Hmm. No, the prose is really bad. Mm -hmm. um, despite it being pandering, it still seems to assume that readers have not played Zork or mm -hmm. done any of these things, so these are explained at length. <laughs> mm -hmm. Instead of just trusting that maybe you know what an REM song is. Mm. <laughs> So then the author went on to write Armada, which I guess has to involve aliens whose only knowledge of Earth is 80s pop culture, and it just continues in this vein for his entire career, I'm sure. Mm. Ugh. Moving on? Moving on. Alright. Book I didn't finish. Or maybe I should do a regret. I'll do a regret. So I did finish Aragon, um, which is about a dragon and a boy. And it's sort of D&D-like. It reminded me quite a bit of, um, sort of like a light version of, um, like Dragonlance-type mm -hmm. settings. Um, but I remember the characters being fairly tepid, the purpose of the narrative. I don't even remember what happens now. Um, kind of, yep, it's a basic, sort of Aesop's fable-y sort of obvious thing. And there's, like, a hot elf in it. <laughs> That's basically what I remember of it. That one is a prime example of unfinished books for me because I read mm. the prologue, which I think is about three pages, 
Yeah. I went, nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember. Um, I had a dragon on the cover. You know who I am. Yeah. And this was yeah. one, one of the many I, times it led me astray. <laughs> it's one of the I, few cases where the pros actually got me to quit something right off the bat because I found it unreadable. It was pretty bad. Yeah. I dodged a bullet and never even bothered trying that one because um, I always kind of got the impression it would be terrible. Mm-hmm. But a fun bit of backstory. The main reason that got published is the author... Oh, yeah. I, I, I think he was, like, homeschooled, and then he decided instead of going to university to write a book, and his family owned a publishing house. Mm-hmm. So it's a perfect example of just nepotism letting something through that probably shouldn't have been. That's well, it is interesting in its way because it was the last of that kind of fantasy that became massive a massive bestseller. I think it spoke to a lot of people who were younger, like around, because he was 16 or whatever, right? Well, they sold it as he was 15 when he wrote it, but he was already 18, 17, 18. I think think he was like 18 or 19 when it was actually published. And then by the time the trilogy was finished, he was older than us. Yeah. I think it spoke to a lot of people that who were kind of... You know, around that age and being like, if he can do it, I can do it too. And it's a perfectly good novel because you have no taste when you're younger. And, um, yeah, I read the first one. My dad had bought it for me originally because it has a dragon on the cover and he knew knew what I was like. So it was perfectly good reasoning. You are pretty easy to shop Uh, for in that regard. Yeah. So, I mean, see our Tooth and Claw podcast. (laughs) And, um, um... Or I think we did one on It Has a Dragon on the cover. <laughs> you guys did that yeah, one. I sat that one out. Um, and then I had to say to my dad, he, at the end, because he, he would always, you know, buy the whole series for me if I liked something. And I was like, I remember because I was 16 at the time, and I was like, this is just not very good. Or I was like, I just don't think so. No. And it was, I think my first time just being like, wow, this book is truly awful. <laughs> Yeah, all right, Aragon, done. All right, my next regret. Um, The Mezzanine by Nicholson Baker. So this was a book I'd heard a lot about, and it seemed kind of interesting. The basic premise is that it's a character, the book starts with him stepping onto an escalator, and the book ends with him stepping off the same escalator, and basically everything in between is just the thoughts going through his head of him recapping his day and recapping his life and pondering just various mundane aspects of the world that we take for granted. And it's an interesting concept. The the thing that killed it for me is it it was a perfect example of a book with no payoff. Because the whole time I was reading it, I kept getting the sense, okay, this is going somewhere, this is going somewhere, this is getting a bit tedious and painful, but it's going somewhere, so where will that be? And then it just ends on the exact same note it starts and continues on throughout. Would it have been wildly different if he didn't stand on the escalator? I don't if know. If he was running up the escalator? It would have been just... The thing about it, it needed to do something different at the end. Because by the time you get to the end, you're kind of burnt out by just how dense and tedious it can be. And it doesn't deliver on that. Like, I, I know I've met some fairly academic people who really love it, and people who like to think they're really academic who really love it, and it's just... It's like Gravity's Rainbow. That'll be my next probably rant. It's one of those books that... Unless you understand all of the academic stuff happening, you only pretend you like it to make yourself seem smarter. Like, that that was kind of the distinct impression it left me with. So it was too jargony? 
it was too pointless. Mm. Like, it didn't do anything. I think we're filling up with a lot of regrets. Um, yeah. I'm bringing in another regret. Some right. of these are unfinished. This is a group of novels. Mm-hmm. So there's an author named Michael Moorcock, who's most famous for the Elric series. Oh! <laughs> Very Michael's prominent good. in the 1960s, but even now he's still writing. This man has written more than I think any other person on the planet within his lifetime. Mm-hmm. He's written a lot of books, a lot of sword and sorcery, a lot of highly influential sword and sorcery. But thanks to that high input of writing, how high output, mm-hmm. it could be high input too. I mean, he's writing a lot. Uh, <laughs> due to that high output of I'm going to write a novel by taking all the drugs and then doing it all in three days. He wrote a lot of trash. Yeah. A lot of trash. So the Chronicles of Coram, which spans six books, I read the first three and then a bit of the fourth one. That ended up becoming trash. The Hawkmoon series, which I read the first, this is a pattern here, the first three Mm -hmm. of, three or four or whatever, and then didn't go on to read the other of them. That one was very trashy, extremely trashy. Uh, His problem Mm -hmm. here is that you'll have a very interesting premise to start out with in the Sword and Sorcery. And then I think because maybe all of the drugs, about halfway through, it just devolves into complete nonsense. And it's not helped because he decided to bring all his books under this thing called the multiverse, Mm. which means characters from other books show up and places from other books show up. So he just ends up like, I ran out of ideas halfway through. Let me grab all the characters and situations from my previous novels and stick them all together and see what comes out at the end, at the end of this series. And I have found a good rule of thumb for Michael Moorcock's Sword and Sorcery. If Prince Gaynor the Damned shows up, that means Michael Moorcock has run out of ideas and you need to stop reading. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. That You can actually pinpoint it to a single character. <laughs> yes. He is Michael Moorcock's worst character, and I think he shows up the most. <laughs> That's too funny. And this applies to Elric, too, because the early Elric books are still good in a heavy metal kind of way. I would still go back to reread them. But the latter era Elric does this multiverse bullcrap over and over again, and none of it coheres together or makes any sense, and it's just a waste of your time. Is he the albino guy with the sword that eats people? Yes. Soul? Yes, yeah. he is. Oh, Stormbringer. Right. Right. Yeah, that is a very heavy metal premise, isn't it? Uh, there is a band called Hawkwind that has sung a lot of songs about Elric of Melnibane. I've got to YouTube this now. I'm sure it's going to be terrible, but I've still got to see it. Yeah, lots of metal bands took their cover art inspiration from Michael Moorcock's stuff, so he was pretty important to the British anarchist metal punk rock scene at the time. (laughs) Very odd correlation, that um, relationship between fantasy, pulp fantasy novelists and (laughs) musicians. Isn't it basically... 
the story that like things end up being kind of nicely resolved, and then his sword just kills somebody that he loves. Isn't that a thing? Isn't that yeah, you read happens? my comic about it. That's why. <laughs> oh, that's why. That's why. I couldn't remember if that was you or Harkavagrant, but anyway. <laughs> I take that as a huge compliment, right? <laughs> there you go. Is it my turn? Yes. Okay. All right. A uh, book that I haven't finished, which is very funny because I've met Guy Gavriel Kay, and he's really nice and interesting. I met him at the Canadian Psychiatric Association conference, and I also learned that uh, his his brother taught us a psychodynamic psychotherapy conference, which is kind of cool. But I've only actually tried to read one of his books, and I failed uh, through that, or it failed me, depending on how you want to look at that. That's that's Tigana. Um, and it's, and I started reading it at all because back when I tried to actually write things in my life, someone commented that, uh, some characters in a story reminded them of this book. So now, and then I went to read that book and I couldn't finish it. So I drew some more conclusions about my own abilities there too, because I don't even remember what happens. All I remember is that it just seemed to be incredibly boring. It's about a peninsula that looks like a hand. (laughs) (laughs) If you can remember the map. Uh, I am an unabashed huge fan of this author. Um, I I did finish Tigana, but I did not like Tigana at all. And I mean, I do plan to read many more Guy Gabriel K (laughs) books because important. And I think many of his other ones are, are very good. I just happened to... Probably I haven't read any of them because I tried reading this one and just couldn't. <laughs> so there you go. First impressions are important. <laughs> All right, moving on to me. I guess you haven't read. All right, I well, will... you've read some Guy Gabriel Cave books. I've read one of his books. Um, I think it was Under Heaven, some of the horses. Yep. Yeah, yeah that. It, it was pretty good. Like I, not my favorite book, but not a terrible read by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I liked it, but again, I don't know enough about his work in general to comment on it. I just know that I've read and enjoyed one of his books. There you go. So, okay, so let's move on to something you didn't enjoy. Yeah, so <laughs> following up on the comments I made, Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon, which I can't believe I forgot until mentioning it, is absolutely terrible. It's one of those, again, it's one of those books where there's all of these references and meta talk and blah, 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 and all this stupid literary crap. It's like, I'm sorry, no. It's stupid. It's a pointless book. It's incoherent half the time. When it is coherent, it's either pointless or disgusting. Like, people like to talk about it. It's like, oh, it's this literary masterpiece. It's like, no, you want to think you're smarter than you are. Like, one th- if I can just describe one scene. Yeah, tell us how you really feel. Perfectly sums up how awful the book is. There is a very vivid description of an act of fellatio. The problem is it's not to a person's genitals, it's to the fecal material coming out of their ass. That is actually described in this book. I'm re- it's like why? I don't care about anything that's you were offended by this. No, book. <laughs> it's not that my delicate puritanical sensibilities were offended by that scene. It's just that scene served no point. Like, why are you? And it's just, it's a collection of things that serve no point, that do nothing, that are either over the top because they can be, or intentionally trying to be clever, and it fails on both accounts. Like, 
So is you this don't... one case where I can't ask what the book is about because that's not a question that can actually be answered? No, you can't. It can't. Like, apparently there's a plot in there about people after World War II tracking down missiles, but, like, that's only tangentially there. Like, it's sort of like Finnegan's Wake? Kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I find it's the type of book where... People like to think it's a smart book. It's not. It's insulting to intelligent people because it pretends to be this thing it's not. Absolutely hated it. Yeah, Yeah, I did like how at certain points you seem to be rendered speechless just talking about it. So, Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. It's like it's so crazy and stupid that you can't comment on it because you're not sure what you even read. All right. Uh, I'm going to do an unfinished one next. Microsurfs mm-hmm. by Douglas Copeland. This is going to just fall under general... <laughs> Can we just uh, throw Doug- Douglas Copeland books in there? <laughs> yeah, just it. a general antipathy to Douglas Copeland, who's considered the voice of Generation X. And um, What? I'm I sorry, think... Generation X. If this is the voice of your generation... I don't think I like your generation very much. See, I've heard another description in that he's the voice of Vancouver hipsters. Now, I've never read any of his work, so I can't comment on that, but just another take on it that I've heard. Microsurfs is about people in Silicon Valley in the 80s, early 90s, living the, um, well, the dream of the 90s that continues on in Portland, I guess. (laughs) Did you seriously just work that reference (laughs) in? Well, you're the first one who talked about hipsters, Corey. So, very listless people contemplating lives that don't seem to have any meaning. So they put a burden on it. There's just really infuriating characters who are extremely entitled uh, and have absolutely no direction, which does not make for a good read in terms of plot or mm-hmm. finding some commonality with these characters in the novel. Mm-hmm. Now, is it trying to make a satiric point or no? Because I, I would could imagine... not tell. I have yeah. read J-Pod to the end, which I don't really remember much of. And I mean, it's parts of it are supposed to be humorous, but it's a kind of humor that I just can't get. I should say maybe I'm missing the joke completely. That's the one that has like most a large amount of pie in it with one decimal wrong. Oh yeah, yeah. There are pages like that. Um, Yeah, Microsurfs felt like it was supposed to be more sincere than something like JPod, but. The characters themselves lack any kind of sincerity. Mm. Okay. So yeah, thanks, Douglas Copeland. You've defined a generation extremely negative terms for us millennials. Yeah. On the plus side, it gives millennials something to point at and go, see, we're not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we eat avocados, which is apparently a bad thing. I, I just ate one today. Out you of guys spite. eat avocado. I'm not an avocado fan. <laughs> it's delicious. I don't buy them now, though, because then they just keep going bad on me. But anyway, um, probably need to edit that comment out. I don't know, Michael. <laughs> All right, I'm going to lump together these two series because I now regret reading them, but did thoroughly enjoy some of them at the time, uh, but not up to the end. 
So it's whole series being the Sword of Truth series and the Wheel of Time series. Ah, someone finally mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> These two so, belong together regardless. So. Yeah, they're oh, they, kind they of do. very, very similar in tone and execution. I'd say I'd probably prefer the Sword of Truth over the Wheel of Time, if someone held a gun to my head and said I had to read one of these series again, I'd probably reread The Sword of Truth. Um, starting with that group, it's really... Wizard's First Rule is actually a pretty good book. And you should. And if I had just read that and then never read any of the rest, I could, would probably be fine. It's, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, it's, it's tolerable. It's, it's grand. Um, I also kind of liked the sixth one quite a bit, The Faith of the Fallen, I think it is. Um, it's a big sort of, if you hate communism, kind of a book, though, so it's sort of funny, because I don't, necessarily. But, uh, well, you hate dictatorship. Yeah, yeah, that part, I suppose. Um, I did read, I haven't read them in a long time, and I read them when I was younger. And the same thing happened, the thing is that I read Sword of Truth up to the eighth book, and I, I sort of would flag through them, and I read the whole series multiple times, because each time a new book would come out, I'd reread the whole series, and then include that book. So I've read them a lot. Um, and then, I, you know, it kind of started to get quite tedious, and the last books, um, I think there's two after Faith of the Fall. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the seventh, but the Pillars of Creation is the last one, unless that is the last one. And um, I just kind of went, it's the exact same damn story each book. And it just takes a very long time, and there is kind of okay violent scenes and stuff and then it's boring oh my god it's there's boring there's a yeah. friend of mine who was a big fan of that series but then when it came to the last book he was just so angry at the ending you could not believe there's a ghost. he was just like i wasted all my time basically yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it basically terry goodkind reaches around and punches you and then yeah. and then he ran into the publisher trap that they wanted him to keep writing more books. So I've but read not other of... kinds of books, just yes. sort of truth books. Yes. Yeah, so I sold. I read the, the Pillars of Creation. Then like three more came out, and I was like, "No, I'm done with the series. I don't want to get caught up in something that's going to just keep going." And I kept them on my bookshelf for a very long time before finally just donating them. I have a feeling the Wheel of Time engenders the same reaction as the books went on. It does, but maybe taking them one at a time, because yeah. I got up to the sixth book of The Sword of Truth, and I remember I was reading them at a point in my... I, I was reading them when I was quite young as well, and so for me it was just, I liked fantasy at the time, so I, I wasn't... But they were big books. You look serious walking around. Yeah, exactly, books. right? So it was like, I was so caught up in this thought pattern that okay it's fantasy and it's really long therefore it's good and it took me a long time to realize like no these are actually trash like they're I boring could they're dull, they're stupid. i could murder like, someone with this if i dropped it from a window <laughs> i remember much. like for me one of the big ones was when i got to the sixth one that's where the politics really started bleeding through mm -hmm. and the issue isn't so much that i disagreed with the politics because i have read books that i've disagreed with it's just it's so clunky and heavy-handed and badly done <laughs> that it kind of makes you realize that, oh, yeah, this is just terribly written. Also, Richard's just amazing at everything somehow, which is... In the first book, he's not. He's just sort of a guy. <laughs> but then he becomes amazing at everything is the problem. Well, it's It builds on the classic hero's journey motif of the hero goes out, gains knowledge, gains power, and finally becomes useful. But, again, to the nth degree. Like, it's... Yeah. 
We can't just yeah. have our hero be good. He's got to be amazing. He yeah. goes Super Saiyan or whatever by the end. Pretty much. Yeah, like yeah. That, that's a perfect analogy. Uh, Wheel of Time. Uh, We've discussed least, Wheel of Time a bit. I, I just want to say the bit mainly why I stopped. There used to be, I can't remember his name now, but he used to have the blog Punkadiddle. Like, Adam Roberts. His, yeah, and I could read his excellent recaps of the Wheel of Time, but then he monetized that, and I can't read them anymore without paying, and I don't want to pay. So, um, uh, so then I, I, I just won't. Um, brilliant explanation of how it just becomes more and more involuted and trapped in the more characters that get added and the weight of the plot points and the extra things and why didn't you fake clean out the male side of the power earlier you fucking idiot <laughs> kind of a thing yeah and then also same thing happened i finished like the 10th book and the 11th it came out and i was like no i'm done i'm tired yeah. i powered through this i wasn't really enjoying it for a little while done i never reread those i just did a did a once through yeah I got a little, or I didn't, I, I got a little farther in the Wheel of Time than I did the Sword of Truth. I got up to the ninth, and again, it was at that point when I started realizing that they were actually not that well written, they were convoluted, it was collapsing under its own weight. He has weird stuff about women. Yeah, <laughs> like, but really one of the other big ones is, like, that's kind of what turned me off reading books and series for a while, because the Wheel of Time is, like, one of those things that serves as the perfect epitome of how fantasy series can fail. Like, it's not telling a story at that point. It's a cash grab as you just keep churning these things out. Like It, just... it can fail in that the author dies before ever finishing the story, yes. but the series continues anyway. Without well, here's it. the thing. The author died before finishing the story, but the story died before the author finished it anyway. Yeah. Like, it got to the, the point... The story actually killed him in an attempt to say, please stop. Well, like, it got to the, they got yeah. to the point where nothing, literally nothing was happening. It's like a thousand pages of just descriptions of rooms. He was writing prequel books without having finished the main series at around the point when that happened. And uh, I mean, he, he could have just lost creative interest in it, which is fine. Authors... I, I I would forward you to Neil Gaiman's work. George R. R. Martin is not your bitch, <laughs> for example. That you can just have different creative interests after a while. Mm-hmm. It's just that you, you get trapped. Yeah. Anyway, we should probably move on from then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. So I'm going to slip another regret, and this is regret of something not finished. Um, when Marie and I moved to Kingston, we had 2001: A Space Odyssey as an audiobook. And we listened to most of it, and I quite enjoyed it, but for one reason or another, we didn't actually finish listening to it, and I've never read it on its own. And so I regret not finishing it, because it, it, it's one of those cases of something I didn't finish, but actually quite enjoyed. Yeah. Just add some positivity to the conversation. Yeah, like, we were listening to it while we were driving around North Lake Superior. It was beautiful. I have to say, having read it, it was way better as an audiobook <laughs> than it was as just a novel. Yeah, uh, and there are instances where there are books that I started and then just never got back to that I'm like, yeah. well, I'll go back to it. I just need to start from the beginning again. Yeah. So I'm not going to yeah. remember what happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a case of something I will definitely finish one day, but yeah. just... Uh, you probably don't need to restart it. You already know what's happening. You already yeah. know what happens in this story. It's it's been a you've known that for a long time. All right, that yeah. was just a quick one because I don't think we've got really more to say on that because we can't trash it. So no, can I take another go? Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. Um, 
Let's bring a comic into the conversation. Ronin by Frank Miller. Ooh. <laughs> um, probably stirring up some controversy, because I know it's got quite a cult following. I didn't like Ronin. I didn't like it for two main reasons. Um, the first being, I did, the story just didn't engage me. Like, it's not badly written, per se. It's just not especially interesting. It's like, the premise is that this de- a demon and a samurai fought during the feudal era in Japan... And now we're in the future, like literally the future from our time, it's sci-fi. And somehow this demon and samurai are coming back through this weird technological getting downloaded into some guy's memory thing. Totally Samurai Jack! <laughs> Gotta get back. back to the past. Samurai Jack samurai is Jack. good, though. Yeah, yeah, well animated. And voice. So, I mean, the story is just... The story is only decent. It wasn't particularly engaging. But the biggest flaw with Ronin, and I think this is a good example of how easy it is to screw up graphic media, the color palette. Every page is just oversaturated with this really awful shade of kind of like jadish puke green. Like it actively becomes physically unsettling to look at after a while. Well, that's certainly an interesting choice. (laughs) Yeah. Like I remember like reading through it. It was just bizarre. It's like, okay, this isn't, a terrible story, but it's not great. But I'm like, I, I can normally breeze through a graphic novel, but it was a hard read just because, like, you you would get a headache looking at the page. Like, I would actively start feeling nauseous, and I kind of regretted sticking it through to the end just because of that feeling. There are comic books that I've started but won't remember the titles of because the artwork turned me off so much. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're going to move into our last round, since we've mm-hmm. been talking at length right now. Indeed. I'm going to bring up something that I think we all have in common, since I think we all read Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman books. Oh my god! Except maybe Corey, since he's looking did. confused right now. Yeah, this sounds like a you guys kind of thing. Uh, continue. Dragonlance! Did you read any Dragonlance? No! You didn't read I read a it. bit of... I read a bit of Forgotten Realms. I never read Dragonlance. All right. That was not the main thing I was going to bring up. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, in that time at the end of high school and just starting, I would still, just starting university, I would still go back to Weiss and Hickman as kind of comfort reads, and they stopped being comfort reads a bit after <laughs> high school, basically. So I read the Sovereign Stone trilogy, which is a good exemplar of the problems with most of Weiss and Hickman's work that things can start off being interesting and then it feels like the authors themselves have no investment in their story and just start skipping giant chunks of it yep we talked about that in the dragons of winter night and things in the dragon podcast so this trilogy the first book is just the prologue because it takes place a few thousand years before the rest of the books. And then the other two, they just bring in a completely different cast of characters, which it has to have a D&D party, at least for the first one, because it was the backstory. It didn't feel like a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. But those last two are, it's just a D&D party doing so- not very interesting junk. And they try and say, like, this is an original world. Because the dwarves don't live underground, they ride ponies. And the orcs are on the water, and elves are Japanese. That's not original at all. They already kind of do that. Yeah. What? 
<laughs> it's like trying to wow. diverge from Dragonlance, but it doesn't get there. <laughs> so I dodged a bullet by not reading these, is what you're saying. No, I wouldn't read Eddie Rice, Weiss, and Hickman book at all. I've, I can't remember which the name of what it was that I read. There was like a sci-fi one that had something to do with different parts of the universe with different physics laws obeyed. It was actually a fantasy thing, too. And I don't even remember what happened other than that it was truly awful. And I hated it. And I think I did finish it, but I have repressed that memory so much. I just... Whenever I see those authors on the shelf, I'm just like, you! I hate you! I hate what you did to me. a lot. They tend to pick settings that interest me, which Mm -hmm. is why I even recently fell into the trap (laughs) You did. <laughs> Taking a book that one of these authors on the cover based purely on the cover art. Yep, you did Because it was that. some awesome cover art, but yep. the writing was you up known. to the standard of the other books. So yep. it didn't get Perhaps down far. to the standard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So that was my well, last pick. All right. I've got a, I've got a couple things. Uh, we already talked about Hunger Games before. In the Hunger Games podcast. Um, yeah, I have mixed feelings about the Golden Compass, so I'm going to take that off. Okay, I'm going to do... Because uh, I have two classics and one here. One was, I was going to mention David Copperfield, but I actually still kind of enjoyed that. No, no whatever. Steppenwolf. I read Steppenwolf at the behest of Corey. I really hated I it. I really liked it. I really hated it. Which is kind of funny, because normally we can... Normally we like quite like similar, similar books. So for, for yeah. it, it was kind of interesting for one book to polarize us like that. Yeah, I was so violently angry about it and that um, I think it hurt you a little bit, actually. I was like, this guy is just an asshole who needs to grow up. Yeah. I've got no It was now. just like me reading Pern and Marie's reactions, but transposed that to Corey. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I was like, this guy is just... One of these fucking German existentialists. He needs to just get over himself, understand that, yeah, modern life is not like the classical life, and you're pulled in two things. Stop being so goddamn borderline. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Um, not actually like a bad book. Like, it's well written, for sure. I'm not going to say that Herman Hesse isn't a good author. Well, he won a Nobel Prize. Yeah, no. And I think the point of the book is still quite good. I just was really irritated by the main characters. Probably all it was. The surrounding characters I didn't mind. Uh, there was a key bit in the middle that I was quite enjoying, but then by the end I was just fed up. <laughs> fed up with. And it's, But it probably translates to how, in philosophy, I don't even like that period of philosophy very much either, or any of those kind of thoughts and things. So, yeah. But, um... Yeah, you were pretty hurt. <laughs> a little bit. Well, I, again, I really liked Steppenwolf. I found, for me, it was an articulation of certain complaints and certain frustrations I had. And so it was kind of cathartic in that it made me realize, like, oh, yeah, I, I'm not the only one feeling that. There are other people going through this. So for me, it was more, not that it made us, I don't want to say it gave me a feeling of community, but it was kind of a validation. It's like, okay, yes, it is okay to feel like this sometimes. My thing with it is that it's not that it's not okay to feel that way, but it's just that he's so lost in it and has no momentum himself to do anything much about it. So kind of like reading Crime and Punishment? (laughs) 
I haven't read Crime and Punish- Punishment yet. So. Yeah, and another book I liked. Yeah. Um, All right, yeah. Corey, round us out. Uh, All right, rounding us out, The Wind-Up Girl by... Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm probably pronouncing the name wrong. Allo Bacagalupi. Okay, yeah, I was going to pronounce it wrong. Um, It was funny because it was a small press book, but it won a ton of awards. But I remember the big thing for me, the reason I regretted reading it, it's not terrible, but it's another one of those books that's just pointless. Like, it's biopunk, but as you're reading through it, everything is familiar. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, this looks, I've seen this. It's it's a book built on cliches. It's like, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. I've seen this before. And if you're going to build on cliches, you need to at least do something original at the end. You can have a cliche-filled story, but then here's your one original thing, your one original idea that makes it worth it, and it just never delivered on that. Like, it was very much a case of, I've seen this story so many times, why did you even need to write it? Well, it did have zeppelins and mutant elephants. That's... And this is for me who didn't finish the book. I got to the rape yeah. scene and I was like, nah, I'm not reading this anymore. It, it's world building versus storytelling. And I found it was very much one of those books where it's it was very aware that it was trying to do something cool. It's like, oh, look at this cool world that I've well, built. Well, it was trying yeah, to be William world. Gibson. Yeah, it's like, okay, you built something that is arguably kind of cool, but you didn't do anything interesting with it. Like, William Gibson's work is cliche, not because he followed cliches, but because he started them. You're just following them. You're not doing anything special with it. And, like, I found it was a very frustrating read because of that. Like, I, it was one of those books where I legitimately felt like I'd wasted my time afterwards because there was no point to it. Like, it, it had no reason to exist. This is funny because when you were starting the book, you recommended it to me. It was just like, oh, this is a thing. This is cool. Yeah. Uh, and I said, I didn't finish it. So uh, there's a warning. <laughs> yeah. No, again, it was one of those books where as you're reading it, it's okay. But when you get to the end, there's there's no payoff. There's no point. Well, I hope you listeners all enjoyed that more than we did. <laughs> What? We were all reliving our pain apparently yeah. through this whole yeah. Great. <laughs> I, I think if to try to maybe just try to add a positive spin to this, bad books do serve a purpose. If nothing else, they make you appreciate good ones. Yeah. <laughs> and like some of these books I loved at certain points. And then as you get older you do change. And that's okay. You're not beholden to your previous self or to your future self necessarily. Do we have any good recommendations for people since we've got a lot of... Well, again, the audiobook of 2001. <laughs> yeah, it's a great audiobook. Um, <laughs> despite Marie's not enjoying it, I still recommend Steppenwolf. I yeah. probably do still recommend it. It's a classic book for a very good reason. I just didn't like it. <laughs> I don't know. War and Peace. <laughs> <laughs> go read that, uh, people. It's a good time. <laughs> um, Most of our other podcasts have been books we'd recommend. Yeah, so if, if, if this is your first time listening to us, just go look at the other books we've reviewed. Read those. Those yeah, are the all only, Dune, the first book. Yeah, the only time we've done something like this before was when we watched Dracula Untold. So no, 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 no! I'm calling bullshit on that. When we did the choose your own adventure books, no, no, that was because we didn't enjoy it in the middle of doing it. Yeah, we set up a project that we—that's something like like these books that we should have quit. 
<laughs> that was a project we should have quit. Stay tuned for when we eventually get around to watching King Arthur, The Legend of the Sword. <laughs> so Somehow. thank you for listening. If you want to get previous episodes of this podcast or to read some articles from me, you can go to onelastsketch.wordpress.com. You can also find previous episodes on iTunes, Google Music, and Stitcher Radio. You can find the blogs of my guests here over at... Yatropexy.wordpress.com And I can be found at fromspeechfire.wordpress.com If you like this podcast, recommend it. See you next time. And if you didn't like it, you should have stopped earlier! (laughs) This podcast is over. (laughs) Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. (laughs) 